Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Joshua. We're going to be reading the first nine verses together and encourage you to turn over there to Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It begins like this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, and no one will be able to stand against you. All the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful Wherever you go, keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. We do have Kingdom Kids today, which is our ministry for four-year-olds through second graders. And if we have any four-year-olds through second graders here today, they can head to the foyer to meet up with our Kingdom Kids workers. And if they've never participated in that before, you'll want to accompany them, get them registered. And then right after the service today, you can pick them up next door in our education building downstairs. That's an important step. Don't forget to pick them up. All right. Well, uh, Joshua is picking up, as we saw, right on the heels of the story of Moses. And I don't know about you, but if you've heard these words that we read just a moment ago, they're some of the most encouraging and powerful words I think we find in the Old Testament. God's charge to Joshua to be strong and to be courageous, to not, to not fear or be dismayed. I think that has something to speak to us about today. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer, prepare our hearts to hear what he does have to say. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for this chance to be together as a congregation. And we are always grateful for anyone here this morning that may be a guest with us. God, we come for perhaps many reasons, but we know at the center of it all is to come to worship together. You, our creator, maker of everything, who loves us, knows everything about us and loves us, has given us your son, Jesus, that we might have forgiveness and eternal life. And God, how can we not sing to you, even in the midst of difficulties that we may be facing or discouragements that have brought us low how can we not worship a god 
who became human like us to give his life for us. So, Father, thank you for sending the Son. And, Holy Spirit, we invite and ask that you come into this place, continue to minister to us, prepare our minds to hear a word from you, soften our hearts that we may receive it, steady our hands and feet that we may go from this place and live it out. This is what we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Do not be fearful. Do not be dismayed. Those two words, I think, are a challenge to us. In fact, I've heard it said before, and I have found that it is almost certainly true, that the command to not fear is the command that is most repeated often in Scripture. And one of the most fearful things is change. Is it not? Change. Change can be very scary sometimes. And we've all gone through it. No matter how long you've been alive, you've gone through change. And at one point, you were at home with mom and dad or grandma and grandpa, and then all of a sudden you had to go to school, right? And you're in elementary school, and everybody was super nice to you. And then you had to go to junior high. Not everybody's so super nice in junior high, right? Things change. You move up. You get older. You get out of the house. You get married. You have kids. You enter into a career. You go through trials. I mean, it's... Life, the only constant in life is that things are always changing. And we are in seasons of life that will come to an end and a new one will begin. Challenges in life that come and go. And those are moments of change. And in those moments of change, I think we need to hear these words that God spoke to Joshua. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Now, what's the change they're going through? It's pretty obvious. We've read over it. Uh, we've, we've covered this uh, through the book of Exodus that Moses was not going to be able to enter the promised land with the Israelites. In fact, all the Israelites who were adults that left Egypt out of slavery into the desert, hoping to enter the promised land, they weren't going to make it either. And we know why. They were disobedient. Even Moses, even Moses disobeyed the Lord at a crucial juncture, showing that he did not trust God. All of them, except for a few, very, very few. Joshua was one of those few who was going to make it into the promised land. If you remember, they're, they're trying to figure out what's the lay of the land in Canaan, the promised land. What's it look like? Who lives there? We got to figure this out. We got to kind of know what we're doing before we just march in here and try to take over. And so they send spies into the land, one from each tribe. And one of those represented, representing his tribe was Joshua. And Joshua and Caleb are the only two of the 12 spies that come back from the promised land and said, we ought to go take it. God has promised it to us. Everybody else says, yeah, it looks great, but the people who live there are going to demolish us. We don't want to go in. This is terrible. Everything is bad. And they actually said, you know what? Let's just go back to Egypt. Let's pick a new leader. This whole experiment is over. We tried. It failed. And God said, all right. None of you are getting in. You don't trust me. But Caleb and Joshua did. And so Caleb and Joshua are are of those who actually do get to enter the promised land. Very, very select minority group. Caleb, uh, or or Joshua rather, 
he has some experience. He's been a military leader. He's been the aide to Moses. Uh, he was there in crucial moments in Moses' uh, leadership. Uh, so Joshua is well prepared. And yet to find himself in this moment, I think had to be quite fearful and had to at least have the temptation of dismay. Why would God say it? Don't be fearful. Don't be dismayed. If there wasn't temptation or at least some evidence that Joshua was facing this, Moses was an impressive leader. And yet now he is dead. He is gone. And everyone, the whole nation, some estimates put it up to two million Israelites at this time, are looking to Joshua to lead them into a significant promise that God had made. I'm going to give you a land. One of many promises God made to them. Now Joshua is the one to do it. He had already been in the land, so he knew what was there. He knew that it was not going to be exactly easy. He had been living with these folks all his life. He knew leading them was not going to be easy. And God says to Joshua, this is an immense moment of change. Moses is dead. We're leaving the desert. We're taking Canaan, change all the way through. And God says to Joshua, do not be fearful. Do not be dismayed. And I thought a lot about that. Fear is future oriented always, right? When we fear, we fear of what may happen. And that's the question that we often ask, maybe with some trembling in our voice. What's going to happen now? What will the future hold? There's uncertainty. And with that uncertainty brought by change, there is fear. So the question that we often ask when change gives birth to fear is what might happen? I don't know if you're like me, but a lot of times I will think of worst case scenarios. You ever done that? I think this is kind of like uh, ingrained in my Mind uh, for my father, one of the things he handed down to me was always be prepared for the worst. Hope for the best, right? You ever heard that saying? Hope for the best, but be prepared for the worst. Now, how do you get prepared for the worst if you don't dwell on the worst? So that's what you got to do to be ready. You got to think of worst case scenario, every bad possibility, and you got to plan and prepare for that. And that that's a daunting thing to do. It's not really great advice. Sure, be prepared is good, but to sit there and dwell on all the terrible things that could happen in order to get you prepared, that's not really a a great way to handle things, I don't think, because the Bible says, don't be fearful. But that's what fear does. It gets us to imagine the worst about the future. Void of God, all up to us. What could fall apart here? And we're really good at coming up to answers to that question. We're super good at it. What's the worst that could happen? I could give you a thousand answers to that question. You could do the same. We're really good at coming up with answers to that question. What's the worst that could happen? So what God is saying in the midst of that, do not fear. He's answering that question, what might happen? He doesn't always tell us what will happen, but he tells us one thing that most certainly will happen. He doesn't tell us everything that will happen in the future that we could be fearful of. But he tells us one truth that if we hold on to it, 
We don't have to be afraid or as afraid as we might have been otherwise about the future. And that one truth is, you don't know what's in the future except this one thing, me. He's better than the best plans we could lay for dealing with the worst possible outcomes that we can imagine. He's better than all of that preparation that we could do. He is going to be with us. It's the same words that Jesus uttered to his disciples after his death and resurrection. He's about to ascend, go to be with the Father in heaven. And they have been given a mission in the world to carry on this work of sharing the good news of of, of what he has done in his perfect life and his sacrificial death and his victorious resurrection. They're going to carry that out into the world. But without the physical presence of Jesus, a moment of change for the disciples that struck fear. And he said these words to his disciples in Matthew 28, 20. I will be with you. There's a lot of things we don't know about the future. We can imagine them and they can create a lot of fear in our lives. There's one thing we do know about the future. God will be with us in it. We know that with certainty because God has promised that to us. Praise God. Now, you could say that that, uh, God says to Joshua, do not be fearful, do not be dismayed. And it's just kind of a way of reiterating the same thing. I think that's entirely possible. But I got to be honest, when when I read that uh, statement, do not be dismayed, I kind of think of a different question. When I think of do not be fearful, I think... The question that often produces fear or is, uh, comes about is, what could happen? But when I think about being dismayed, often I think about being dismayed is, well, what will I do? When I think about the feeling of being dismayed, it's disorienting. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going to happen. But I don't know what to do about this. Sure, God's going to be there. But what am I going to do about this? Again, uh, to point out the obvious, Joshua had been walking beside Moses throughout their experience, both in Egypt and slavery and the wilderness wandering that lasted 40 years. He saw how these people responded to Moses' leadership. It was not pretty. More than once, they tried to replace him. Often, they disobeyed him. And I got to wonder if he was thinking to himself, now I'm in charge of these people, what am I going to do? Feelings of dismay, what will I do? And we all feel that way in the midst of change. What am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? How am I going to face this? What decisions do I need to make? What skills do I need to have that I don't have? How how am I going to have the resources To be successful. So when we feel dismayed, I think often the question we ask is, what what will we do? What will I do? Now here, we have another excellent answer found in the scriptures. When we're fearful and we say, what might happen? The answer is, I don't know, but God's going to be there. When we feel dismayed and we say, well, what are we going to do? 
that we find an answer as well. And it's found in the context of being successful. I think that's interesting. The Bible uses that word success a couple times here. But the Bible doesn't use the word success to talk about monetary success, military success. It uses success in one singular, in one singular way. To be success, successful is to obey God. That is success. Now, it's a very different story than the world will tell us today. To be successful can mean a lot of things in the world today. You become known, you have money, you, uh, everything looks impressive, you have nice clothes, you make good grades, you uh, have success on the field or the court. There's a whole host of ways in which we could define success. But I think the biblical answer to the word success is obedience. Not obedience to myself, not obedience to another, but singularly obedience to God. God is saying to Joshua, you are going to be successful. But there is an if attached to that statement. If. Verse 8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Most likely what God is referring to here is what's called the Pentateuch. Pentateuch means the first five books of the Bible. Right. He says, keep these first five books of the Bible on your lips, meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be, you hear that? Then, then you will be prosperous and and successful. When we say feelings of dismay about what's happening or what might happen, we say, well, I don't know what to do with that. God says, yeah, you do. I told you, told you what to do It's right here. You don't have to wonder. Now, are there some details of your life that are not spelled out in scripture? Absolutely. The book would be way too long if it troubleshot every issue we're ever going to face. But the principles that you need to have a successful life defined as being obedient to the will of God, it is here. And God knows that this is an important thing to remind Joshua of in this moment. The feelings of dismay. What will I do? Just be obedient to the word I've given you. And he doesn't just say that. He gets specific. We now have the whole Bible. So we can read that and say, it's not just referring for me to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. It's referring to the whole of Scripture. Which is one of the reasons... That we're reading the Bible together, by the way. If you didn't know that, we're working through a reading plan through the Bible together. You'll find a, a, a blue a front and back cover reading plan in the foyer on your way out. You can grab one of those, take it with you. My encouragement to you, if you haven't been reading with us, just pick up on today's reading. And as you have opportunity, catch up on the days that you miss since we started back in January, January 1st, okay? But reading God's Word is kind of the first initial and minimum step to obeying God's word. You got to know what it says. Right? You have to know what the instructions are before you can follow them. So Moses says to them, be careful to obey all, or God says to Joshua, be careful to obey all of the law 
that my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from the left or to the right, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep it on your lips. Meditate on it. As you read the Bible, you're thinking about it. To meditate literally is a, is a way of describing what a cow does with grass. It chews on it. That's what it means to meditate on the Word of God, to think deeply about it. You're reading your Bible reading today and a verse stands out to you, a passage stands out to you. And you just think on that. Maybe you write about it. Maybe you pray over it. Maybe you return to it again and again throughout the day. It's a way of meditating on it. And as you're thinking and you're praying and you're meditating, after reading, now you're prepared to obey. When God says to Joshua, don't be afraid, the reason he could not be fearful is because God was going to be with him. The reason he could not, he, he didn't have to be dismayed is the same answer because God is with us but here specifically what I'm saying to you is that God shows up to us when we read the word this is how God communicates to us primarily now don't don't misunderstand me God will communicate to you in lots of ways he will communicate to you through other people through circumstances in life through nature itself through a song that we sing God God has endless ways Of speaking truth to us. But the primary way he gets across what he wants us to do is found in the Bible. It's another way that God is present to us in our lives. Is that he has given us his word, the scriptures. We know that God is with us. His spirit resides in us. He is all around us. He speaks to us through his, his word, the scriptures. Therefore, we do not have to be fearful, and we do not have to be dismayed. Those are the do nots. But Joshua gives Moses, or gives, uh, God gives Joshua two do's. He gives him two do nots. Do not be fearful, do not be dismayed. But he also gives him two do's. The two things that he is supposed to do is be strong and be courageous. To be strong and to be courageous. What you're going to find in Joshua is the strength that they had was God. Now this is really good news. Because when I read that, I think, God, I've got to be strong in order to accomplish your will in my life. Because that is success. But often I'm weak. Paul would think about this himself and say, you know, I've noticed something. When I'm weak... I reach out to God for strength, and I find that in God's strength, I'm able to do what He has called me to do. Now, this is, I think this is one of the greatest promises in Scripture, is that God gives the strength. How can Joshua be strong? In the Lord. Not his own strength, not his own abilities, not even borrowing strength from another person, but to be strong in the Lord. Now, how is he going to be strong in the Lord? This is the stuff we've already talked about. Recognizing God's presence around us, reading God's word, praying, worshiping, serving him, living your life in his presence, being with him, abiding in him, as Jesus would say. And when we abide with the Lord, nothing is impossible. By ourselves, we cannot do it. But in him, 
we can. Now, I'll be honest, that sounds easy. Uh, It sounds simple. It is simple, but it's not easy. It is a simple thing, but it is not necessarily an easy thing. What I found in my life is the strength of the Lord does not come because I spent two minutes praying about it. I I have to pray over and over and over. I have to search the scriptures and find the promises of God that can encourage me and strengthen me to accomplish his will. I do need other people that I can lean on and ask them to pray for me. That gives me strength to follow God. I, I don't have the strength in myself, but I know the source. I know where I can go to get the strength that I need. Just like they're trying to charge your phone, you can't charge that phone. But if you know where to find electricity, you can find an outlet and you've got a cable, you can charge that phone. You don't have the power, but you know where to go to get the power. The same is true here for Joshua and the same is true for you and me. We want the strength to accomplish the will of God in our life, that we might be successful as God defines it. Where are we going to get that strength? Not going to find it here, but I will find it in The Lord. The strength is the ability to do God's will. And that strength comes from God Himself. Strength is the ability to do God's will. But see, God says you can't stop there. You can have all the strength and ability in the world, but it has to be transferred over into the courage to obey. Sometimes obeying God is very easy. Oftentimes, it can be very difficult. To do the right thing can be very challenging sometimes. Maybe a lot of the times. To have the courage to march into the promised land and face those who are fearsome in that land. To have the courage to take up the role of leader amongst these two million Israelites. Knowing how their parents treated the last leader and being a little unsure of that. There there was a need for courage. In the life of Joshua. He didn't just need the strength to do it. He needed the courage to do it as well. He didn't just need the ability to do it. Strength. He also needed the willingness to do it. Courage. Put this back in the context of change. We are ever in a season of change. Transitioning from one thing to another. It might be phases of life, stages of life, might be crises. Is that right? Crisis? How do you say that? I should have skipped that word. Crisis. All right, I, I give up. I'm not even going to try. You know what I'm saying. Crises, did I get it right? Okay, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's just ongoing change, and that change produces no short amount of anxiety that bubbles up and all that what will happen and what will I do is going to be present there. And we find the strength in God to do it, but do we have the courage, the willingness to do it? Because often in the moment of change, transitioning from one thing to another, there is a call of God to do something you've never done before. To obey God in a way that you've never had to obey Him before. To face something that you've never had to face before. And in that moment, to be obedient requires courage. And 
at least I'll speak for myself, that courage often is lacking. Where do we find the courage? Again, we returned to this truth. God is with us. See, that's the answer to all four issues. How are we strong? We're strong in the Lord. He's with us. Right? How can we not fear? I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I know God's going to be with me. How can we not be dismayed? Well, I don't know what to do, but God is with me. He's with me in the word, the Bible, and he tells me what to do. How can I be courageous? Well, I don't have the courage, but in him I can find the courage. In him I see a God who is both loving and powerful. I think those two combinations are so helpful when it comes to the need for courage. The courage is to do what God has called us to do, knowing that it's going to probably cost us something. It's the willingness to do what God has called us to do in the face of the fact that it's going to cost us something. It may be that we have to lose some control over our lives. And maybe we have to say something that might feel embarrassing. Like, you know, I was wrong about that and I'm sorry. Something like that. Whatever God is calling you to do that requires a little bit of courage, where will you find that courage? I think it comes in the fact that God is with us and He is a loving God present in our life. What, we, what I would say is that nothing that courage calls me to expend have I not received a, a thousand times over from God. Courage requires me to give something that is going to be costly to me. And yet I know that in God, he has given me something more than I could ever imagine. More than I could have hoped for. And that is his love. I think the way that we can be courageous in the face of change to fulfill the will of God in our life, when it's going to cost us something, is to see that God has already given us something. More valuable. More wonderful then whatever we might lose in the face of being courageous. And how do we know that? Of course, we see that in Jesus. We see in Jesus, God giving us more than we could have hoped for, imagined, more, more than we've earned, certainly. We see in Jesus, God is loving us. So the Apostle John, who followed along in Jesus' ministry, wrote some of the books of the Bible. They uh, follow his name, including the book of Revelation. And he says, this is how we know what love is. That Jesus has died for us. How do we know what love looks like? We see the sacrificial cost that the Father gave the Son and the Son willingly came. And I think that that love, knowing that we have received far more than we have earned or could ask for, gives us the courage to expend a little bit of ourselves, to give away some things that we might want to hold on to, to pay a price that courage requires that we may not in ourselves really want to pay. But you know what? I see what God has done for me. And we see that in our human relationships, don't we? Someone has been very loving and kind and generous towards you. What does that do? It inspires you to do the same thing in kind. 
They have been loving and kind and generous towards me. Therefore, I want to be naturally loving and kind and generous towards them. Now, the reason we don't always see that with God is because maybe we're not taking the time to see what God has done. I want you to just think about this for a second. The good news of Jesus has to land in your life regularly. It's not enough to hear it once a week in a sermon on Sunday. It's not enough to ponder it every once in a while like at summer camp or something like that. The truth of the gospel, that God loves you so much that in your sinful state He would send His perfect Son to die in your place that you might have forgiveness, a righteous relationship with Him and an eternity in heaven as your home has to land in our lives regularly that we feel the love of God. That we feel the love of God. Not just that we know it, but our hearts are warmed by it. That is so important because when we feel the love of God, when we experience the warmth of His love, when He wraps us up in His arms and we know that we are loved by God, what we realize is God has given us so much. How could I not have the courage to do what He's calling me to do? Anything that this courage may cost me, God has given me a million times over. How do you do that? Make it your practice every day as you read scripture and as you pray to confess your sin to God, to remind yourself that in Christ you are forgiven, to remember that you stand before God. This is so crucial. I will think of this often, and I encourage you to do the same. You stand before God as a perfect child. See, this is what Jesus does, y'all. His perfect life makes you perfect in the eyes of God. That's what the forgiveness and righteousness offered to us in Jesus does. It makes you a perfect son or daughter of God's. That God is not seeing you and is perpetually disappointed in you and frustrated with your disobedience. And I don't know what I'm going to do with this child of mine. Those are not his thoughts. It should be, but it's not. He's looking at you through the lens of the cross, loving you as a perfect child because you and I get the record that Jesus earned. When I know that that's my standing, and it came at the great cost of Jesus dying on the cross, then I know God has given me more than I could ever have earned, hoped for, asked for. He has given me far, far more. And when courage comes calling, and courage is going to cost me something, I know that in Jesus, I've already gotten more then whatever I'm going to have to pay out when, a time, when the time comes, not just to have the strength to do the will of God, but when it requires the courage to actually do it, God has given me more than anything I could ever give back to Him. So we put all this together. What God is saying to Joshua is He is about to enter into a position that He has never had, a place He has never led, And an enemy he has never faced. Change, change, change. I don't think God would have given him these commands if there was something in him that was not feeling some of this stuff. 
He's a human being like you and me. And so I imagine he was feeling these things. He was feeling weak, fearful, discouraged, and dismayed. And God says to him, all the way through, you can be strong, verse 9, and courageous. You cannot be afraid, and you do not have to be discouraged. Why, why, why? Because the Lord, your God, is with you. And can I tell you, He's with you. He is with you now. He's with you in your season of change. In your season of challenge. He is with you. And what comes with Him is strength, courage, fearlessness, and the knowledge to know what He is asking you to do And the ability to do it. And for that we give thanks to God. Let's pray. Father, it's hard to quite imagine what Joshua was going through. Even as we think about it. And we have the at least some of the details of his story. But to really feel what he felt. To experience what he went through. But in some small way we all do. You know what we walked in here facing, Lord. You know the things that cause fear in our life, that cause us to worry about the future. You know the things that God dismay us and we just don't know how to handle it. You know the weakness that we feel. God, you know it all. And the one thing we need to know is that you're with us. God, I pray that in some way you would just encourage each and every one of us, each and every one of us here this morning or watching on Facebook. God, that you would just reach out and, and just remind us, hey, I'm, I'm with you. You are not alone. God, that we might know that because you're with us, we have everything we need to be successful. And the way that you define it as being obedient children of yours, that no, no matter how much we may fail, God, you pick us back up and you brush us off. You remind us of the grace of Jesus. And, and God, we can strive again. And for these things, Father, we give thanks. In the name of Jesus, amen.